How great is the God that we serve. We've gathered together in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're glad that you're here already. I know that you're glad that you have come. We appreciate testimony and song that has been given. I think it's okay maybe to uh, take just a moment. Why don't, you, why don't we applaud how the Lord has used our worship service today and those who shared. And... Uh, we are in Judges chapter 3 today. Judges chapter 3, we've started a new series, shortened version of the title is Stepping Up. And uh, we appreciate you coming and being a part of it today. Going to carry us for the next few weeks as we look at some of the judges. For some reason, I feel that this would have been a great Sunday to look at the judge of uh, Deborah, one of the lady judges that we have here. Appreciate Amanda sharing as well and, and uh, see her as a good example maybe from Deborah. I do not see her as a good example from the one that we're looking at today as perhaps you will see as we go forward. And uh, But... Uh, we're going to be reading Judges chapter 3 and verse 12. Now, let me encourage you to do this. Don't read ahead. Some of you already, you're there, you're reading it right now. And yeah, you're reading the Bible, so that's not a terrible thing for you to be doing, you understand. But just for today, I wonder if you would, maybe as we go through, we'll take a look at these verses. And uh, we're going to look at them kind of uh, one at a time or different sections as we do. And try not to read ahead. I can tell because it looks like you're reading ahead sometimes. As I look back up, we've done this kind of thing before. We're just going to kind of drive through the passage and talk about it a little bit. Make sure that we're all on the same page as we look at it. Judges chapter 3 and verse 12 says this, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's the same kind of pattern often we find in the Old Testament. We talked a little bit about it last week. Sometimes it's our pattern. Sometimes things are going well, then we become a little more unfaithful and but here in the case of Israel, they had done evil, probably meaning that they had begun to worship idols again. And God does as part of the pattern here is that uh, then the Lord sends maybe another nation to come and defeat Israel and they rule over them. So that's kind of the things that's happening. Verse 13 reads like this. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites, meaning the king of Moab, and they went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. Now, the city of Palms is Jericho. I can tell you're reading ahead. You're, you are, have most of it. But uh, the city of Palms is Jericho, another name for the city of Jericho. You remember the city of Jericho when the Israelites came in under Joshua? They, they blew the trumpet, shouted, the walls came tumbling down. Here's the interesting thing that Joshua told us that no one, particularly no one outside of the Israelites, if anyone ever rebuilt Jericho, they would be accursed. So... We'll continue to see. Verse, 15, verse 14 says, And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Now here is the king of Moab, which, by the way, they are distant relatives of the Israelites. You remember Abraham and his nephew Lot? The people of Moab are descendants of Lot, so they're, they're kin. And so it's a double whammy for the Israelites not only are they being oppressed and becoming slaves of the people who are kin, but now they're moving in from the outside into the promised land, taking over the city of Jericho, parts of the 
promised land and the same kind of parts in which they were to be taking over themselves. And on top of that, it's the very first city that was conquered by Israel. Oh, you're doing better. Some of you looking at me even more now. Then the people of Israel, verse 15, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ahud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now let's stop here for just a moment and make sure we understand. Here's the pattern that takes place. They have been unfaithful. They found it was unfruitful because they've been having to serve another kingdom. Then they cry out to God. Of course, God listens. He provides another deliverer, another judge. And here it's going to be Ahud. What do we know about Ahud? Only what's in these verses. We know his daddy's name. We know he's a Benjamite. And we know that he's left-handed. Maybe we don't, if you're not read ahead, maybe you don't know why yet, but we'll find out particularly why that has been mentioned. Now, the people must have recognized that this was the new judge, the new deliverer, because they send Ahud to see Eglon. These are names you're not used to, so you want to keep them straight while we're taking time. Eglon is the king of Moab. They send Ahud, the deliverer, to take the tribute to the king of Moab. He takes a committee or a team with him as he goes. And so they're going. And he's, he's probably not the usual one to take the tribute. And we say tribute. It could either be money. It could be grain or goods. Whatever the king demanded of the people to bring to the people. Probably more than just money since they sent a whole team ahead with him. He's going. It'd be kind of like sending, because I want you to, it'd be kind of like sending Liam Neeson or Clint Eastwood in in a black ops undercover operation. You understand because of what's going to happen here. So it begins to be suspenseful. Look at the, what do we read? Verse 15. Let's read verse 16. And Ahud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. So he makes for himself a double-edged sword. Cubit's about 18 inches. And he straps it to his uh, thigh underneath his clothes, right thigh, so that it would not be detected. Of what's going to play. You just make sure everybody's following along in verse 17. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. Now, it was almost the title of the sermon today, the husky king. But I have a feeling that he was more than just husky. And he, they present this tribute. Verses 18 and 19 now says, And when Ahud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute, but he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret for you, O king. And he commanded silence and all his attendants, all the king's attendants, went out from his presence. I have a secret for you, O king. Maybe it says he turned at the idols of Gilgal. Maybe because, maybe somehow that became known and the king thought, oh, you've got a message from the gods. And so then all the committee that came from Israel to bring the tribute left. The king says silence. And so all the entourage of the king, they have all left. And now they're alone and they actually move up to the roof chamber in the king's palace or wherever the king is at that time. Verses 20 through, we'll read 20 through 23. Everybody still with us today. And Ahud came to him as he was sitting along in his cool roof chamber and Ahud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat, and Ahud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, thrust it into his belly, 
And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, and he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ahud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Is everybody okay? Just want to make sure you see the picture. Just without, Don't be very crass here, but it's not very pretty. And to evade capture, Ahud locked the doors coming into the chamber from the inside and apparently escaped out from another exit. Verses 24 and 25. Oh, I can tell you, you can't wait. You're reading ahead. It's all right. When he had gone, the servants came. And when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he's relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. And we still did not open the doors of the roof chamber. They took the key and opened them. And there lay the Lord dead on the floor when the doors were locked. From the inside, well, his attendants thought, well, he's in the little boy's room. Or the big boy's room, maybe, in this case. It's okay for you to maybe chuckle at this a little bit. I want to tell you, we may still feel a little uncomfortable as we're reading this unusual story. And... Uh, because I believe the original readers are those who told the story or heard the story. It's filled with satire and even probably much more for the Hebrew people. It is uh, filled with humor because uh, it is always at the enemy's uh, humor at the enemy's expense. Here's the king of Moab who had oppressed the, God's people for 18 years and now they see it kind of humor, something that we probably don't see in English but maybe in the original language. To know that the king of Eglon, his name meant bull or calf and it also meant circle or round. So the Hebrew people would no doubt see this enemy king as a round, fattened bull or as the calf that had been fattened up for the slaughter. Verses 26 through 30 says this. Ehud escaped while they delayed. And he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sierra. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country. And he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. And so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So we find Ehud, the deliverer of Israel, he gives God credit tribute for the victory that has taken place and has taken place and they had rest for 80 years maybe at least for two generations very last verse there's only one more so let's go ahead and read it plus I believe we learned something it's another judge is mentioned but after him Shamgar the son of Anath who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox gold and he also saved Israel Shamgar is what we would consider one of the minor prophets only because we don't know much about him. And in one verse, it's probably the very same pattern. We assume that it's taking place where the people did, did evil. The Philistines captured them or defeated them. They cried out to God. The Lord sent Shamgar to come and take care of the Philistines, a very common enemy from then on for the Israelites, particularly with David and the kings of Israel. Now, if you were here last week, or even if not, you might know that uh, there are many, everything that's true that is in the Bible, and there are some things that we learn what not to do. And then there are other things in which we learn that there are patterns to follow. And today we want to be sure that we distinguish that or look very carefully on what it is, the pattern that we are to follow. I believe every 
chapter, verse, and word of the Bible should be read by every follower of Jesus. I'm not sure that every chapter, verse, and word needs to be preached. Now, I'm, I'm probably not even going to have enough birthdays or Sundays left in my life to preach every verse and everything that is said in God's words. But I debated about these verses for obvious reasons. But I have faith in the sovereignty of God to believe not only that the Lord has led us to this Bible story, but that He has led us on this very day for this very time so that we might be able to learn what God would have to say to us for even from this unusual story for His purposes. I hope that you believe that to be the same thing. From this Bible story, yes, this is a Bible story. These messages and judges are about stepping up. Now when I hear stepping up, there are probably many things I think of. One of those things is about maybe stepping up to the plate like in baseball. That time, sometimes your number's called. It's time for you to step up. You do the best job that you can. Uh, this week, if you're a uh, Major League Baseball fan, you know that this was the All-Star game this week. They played it on Tuesday night, I think, and, and the night before was the Home Run Derby. Now, if I watch either of those, I'm probably going to be more interested in the Home Run Derby than I am at the actual baseball game that takes place on All-Star Week. And in the Home Run Derby, we've got uh, these men... They seem very confident when they step up to the plate. I don't know if you've ever watched. Some maybe even cocky as they come to the plate. Now, as they're throwing, they have their coaches, one of their coaches lobbing the balls up just right there perfectly ready for them to swing. Now, don't misunderstand me. These men are hitting baseballs farther and harder than anybody else in the world ever could or ever has before, but uh, but they're pretty cocky about this. In fact, you might remember Babe Ruth. You know, he used to. You've heard of Babe Ruth. I've heard of Babe Ruth. I don't. Know. But uh, that you know, he used to point the stands exactly where he was going to hit it, and often did that very thing. But the coaches pitching to him kind of reminds me of that little league time when there's coach pitch baseball, and your coaches are throwing it up to you for the kids to hit. It's probably just a step up above t-ball. Well, sometimes you and I must step up to the plate, which is to step above, above, excuse me, step up to the plate when life is throwing us fastballs, curveballs, sliders, and sinkers. And all can be intimidating. All to have the confidence to make the proper swing, but not the confidence in ourselves, but in the Lord being with us and using His power and strength as we step up to where God has called us. I hope that this unusual story that we have read today will help us to find confidence in Christ our Lord and for all who are in Christ. Any questions you got about the story that we read today? <laughs> Is the deception and the premeditation of our hero endorsed by God? Certainly this is not a pattern to be emulated or followed, or is it? If not, then how does God use an unlikely, unordained method for His purposes? Now, if you have these and other questions about this particular passage, you're not the first. We, we may not answer all questions to your satisfaction or feel confident in all of our answers. Or some questions will not be answered about this particular passage. But it is not without some irony that this particular passage that we're not completely confident about how we are to take a look at it, I believe that it can help us to have more confidence not about who we are, but about who we are in Christ and how the Lord is at work in our lives. Maybe even more confidence than you had when you came in today. Let's ask the obvious question. 
Did Ehud, the deliverer and judge, do as God instructed, or did he go off on his own when he was with the king and with his own plan? Now we're going to call Ehud, we're going to call him the, uh, the left-handed judge or the underhanded judge. Underhanded meaning maybe that he was a little bit sneaky about this thing. It, came, it, it comes obvious to me as I've read this scripture that the name of the Lord is used in verse 15. And then it's not used again until verse 28. Even, even when Ehud says, I have a message from God that calls the king to stand up and to listen with interest, he uses the name Elohim. While still a very significant name of God, sometimes that name's even people tried to apply to other gods, but we know that it only applies to one God. But he used the name Elohim instead of using Yahweh, the name only used of Israel's God. So some have taken that to mean that Ehud, though God's deliverer and judge of Israel, went off the rail some and did some of the things his own way instead of God's way. God could accomplish the defeat of the king of Moab and the Moabites in any number of ways. We know that he often did. But God still allowed and used the events for his purpose. I guess one argument might be this. If God only uses people who follow his will perfectly and exact, would he ever get things done or only be able to use very few or anyone at all? Still, there are some who see every movement of the story as God's plan, and this is exactly how it needed to be accomplished. I'm of the opinion that probably it is the former. I admire Ehud and his courage and the drama, but he may have gone out on his own with good intentions, and the Lord uses these events for his purpose. Now that you know the story, of Ahud, and you're wondering, did God really want him to do things in this way, or did he have another plan in mind? And you may have an opinion about that, but it's okay with me when you get to heaven, look Ahud up and ask him. You might even tell him that you're a preacher compared to Liam Neeson or Clint Eastwood. He'd probably say, who? But let us, let's be careful about our application. Regardless of our understanding, we know the story is true, and there are lessons to be learned. And I think the primary lesson is this. Confidence comes when we do things God's way and according to His plan. I, I'd like to give you a comparison from the Bible, maybe particularly from the New Testament, in helping us to make the application here with this, if you would. Oftentimes we find in the Bible, maybe at the New Testament, what Jesus said, something like, Ask and you, ask and you shall receive. Or there's a passage that talks about whenever two or three agree on a certain matter, the Lord will do it. Or pray for anything in the name of Jesus and the Lord will answer your prayer. There's an underlying biblical understanding about all of these passages that should always be understood. And that is that all these things are true as long as they are according to God's will. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says this. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him. I like that word confidence. We're going to be using it today. And the confidence must be toward God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Now, if you're reading the passage and it says something about asking you shall receive, even though it may not say it explicitly, we know that it is always true that it needs to be. It is always according to God's will. Well, here today, in a few minutes that we have left, we're going to point some lessons to be learned today. With every lesson learned, 
We want to be sure that it's understand that we are to do all things God's way and not our own. So as we make this lesson, we're going to kind of add the phrase to it and do all in Jesus' name, in His way, and according to His will. Here's the first one. Use the gifts, talents, and resources that God has given you. Use the gifts, talents, and resources God has given you. What is it that we know about Ahud? He's a Benjamite, knows daddy's name, and we know that he's left-handed. Now, in some places, and particularly in ancient times, and maybe even some today, left-handed people are considered to be more of an attribute than a detriment. I mean, particularly maybe for soldiers when they were, you know, fighting, have a weapon in one hand and a shield in another, and they're expecting the other person to have the same and come at things right-handed, they wouldn't know what to do or sometimes would not be prepared for something that is coming with a left-handed or left-handed adversary. The Benjamites were known to be either ambidextrous or left-handed. Later in Judges, it talks about 700 left-handed soldiers, assuming that they were trained as such. Back to baseball, even some coaches will tell their players, listen, if you're right-handed, you want to be, you want to learn how to bat left-handed because you'll be that much closer to first base. And some left-handed pitchers and others, of course, have some advantages as well. All this to say, Ahood certainly used this to his advantage. Maybe they didn't check his right side for a sword, not knowing he was left-handed because if you're right-handed, you'd reach to the left for your sword. Or maybe they were not uh, watching, and even when the king was by himself, if he were watching at all, he'd watch the right hand perhaps and not the left. Thus, Ahud was able to make his move. I, but I find myself a little reluctant to say, use whatever resources you have to get the job done. But I have no problem saying use the gifts and the talents and the resources that God has given you and do all in the name of Jesus and in His way and according to His will. You see where we're going here. Now, when I'm thinking about gifts, talents, and resources, I'm thinking about the gifts that you received if you're a follower of Jesus. The moment that you became a believer, the Holy Spirit gave you gifts that were to be used for God or talents that you may have naturally or maybe that you have developed. They certainly can, should be used according and for God's kingdom. And any resources, including monetary or possessions or whatever you have, use what's been given you for God's kingdom. Now, if you use these things in Jesus' name, according to His will, His way, the glory will naturally go to the Lord. But if you use these things, maybe even with good intentions, but not His way and not according to His will, I, I fear that then we end up taking the credit and the spotlight is put on us and not where it needs to be on Him. About 150 years before these events are taking place, we find Moses, he's actually talking to the Israelites who are about to go into the promised land. And he gives them direction. He says, you're going to go into the promised land. You're going to take over this land. You're going to take over all of their vineyards and all their cattle. And you're going to become wealthy because of this. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. Be careful if you ever say that or I ever say that. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. All talents, gifts, resources, power, and strength are given by the Lord. Remember, give Him credit and glory and use things His way. It's also, I think, helpful to know that that term may depend on your translation that you read out of, but we read out of the ESV. The term left-handed in actuality says, literally, restricted 
in the right hand. Thus it is possible, if not likely, that Ehud was handicapped and did not have use of his right hand. Maybe that's how he got past the king's guard with an 18-inch double-sided sword strapped to his thigh. Maybe that's why the king would dismiss all of his attendants and didn't mind being alone on the roof with Ehud because it seemed harmless. But that was hardly the case. The king of Moab, who after 18 years of evil domination over the Israelites, had become fat and happy and maybe not very bright. After all, he thought he had defeated the Israelites, but we find in verse 12 that the Lord was strengthening Israel's enemies for his purposes. Hey, Ehud's be commended. If not for the rooftop chamber sleight of hand slain, then for the rallying of the Israeli troops. And if he was handicapped, he did not use that as an excuse, but instead he rallied the people together, the Israeli army, and defeated all of the Moabite army. And they were all described as strong and abled body men. So here's a second lesson. Don't allow any obstacle to keep you from stepping up. Be it a handicap, physical or otherwise. Can I tell you, we have a number of people in our church here at Parkway Baptist Church, maybe more so than other churches, who could use their physical problems as an excuse not to serve God, but instead they are an inspiration and example to us. Thank you for continuing to serve and thank you for being an example. Also, Overcoming temptation and or a recurring sin that could keep you from growing or stepping up is a must. Now, if most of us have some kind of temptation, particularly in our lives, or maybe even a recurring sin that we must confess to the Lord seemingly over and over again. And we think to ourselves, will we ever kind of get over this thing? Will we ever be able to move forward or step up? But I, th I think I want you to remember that probably on your own that cannot be done, but it happens when we seek the face of God, when we get to know Christ better, for we know where we, we are weak, He is strong. Fear can be an obstacle, certainly, to stepping up. Ehud had courage, at the, even at the risk of his life, he was willing to be used of God and follow through with his plan. It, it's an obstacle to have an unwillingness to ever take a risk. Yeah, it could be risky to share Christ to speak out, even to speak a word of encouragement. In other words, it could be that our obstacle may be a fear of stepping up. So don't allow any obstacle to keep you from stepping up and do all in Jesus' name and in His way and according to His will. Re regardless of what you think about Ahud or his methods, in the end he tells the Israelites in verse 28, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. He gives credit to God. Look what the Lord's about to do. Look what He's going to do. So here's, here's our third lesson. God can and will use the unlikely to accomplish His purposes. I think we see that perhaps in the story of Ahud. And even in verse 31 tells us of Shamgar saved Israel by going to war with an ox goad to defeat the Philistines, this common enemy of Israel. Not hardly, even less, is known about Shamgar, except his weapon of choice. Assuming that all the enemies had confiscated all of the weapons of war, Shamgar uses the only thing that he has, an ox gold. It is uh, described maybe as an eight-foot-long stick 
maybe with metal on one end and a point on one end, which was used to spur or to prod oxen as they pulled a plow or a cart. You've heard about it in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul, when he's on the road to Damascus, he tells about when Jesus came on the road and spoke to him with the bright light. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard to kick against the goads? Referring to the same kind of tool. This farm animal tool could be used as a powerful weapon in the right hands, and apparently it was. What you may think is an unlikely tool can be used of God in His hands. I think Ehud, maybe like a lot of people in the New Testament and even a lot of folks today like me, perhaps seem like unlikely candidates to be used of God, but God used them anyway. You may have things in your life that you think are an unlikely tool to be used. You may be thinking of, you may have circumstances or difficulties going on in your life, and you're in the midst of that, so you could hardly begin to think of that as, an, uh, as a likely tool that God could use. But He wants to use whatever difficulty, whatever you're facing even today, certainly in ways in which He wants to shape you and make you and I more and more like Jesus. But he also wants to use the tools, whatever you're facing going through today, so that either by example or maybe explicitly to be able to be used to point other people to Jesus and influence other people in God's direction. I think it's okay for you to imagine, if you're going through a difficulty right now, for you to imagine sometime way off in the future, or maybe not so far away in the future, or maybe it's already happened that... God can use you to maybe talk or give encouragement to someone else who's going through something similar or talk to someone or maybe to many people and say, look, watch, let me tell you what God did for me. So God can, we can and will use the unlikely to accomplish His purposes and do all in Jesus' name and according to His ways and according to His will. Well, a couple of things here, I think, in line with our main message, I sure don't want you to miss here because you remember what uh, Ehud was preparing before he went, a double-edged sword. Now, I don't, think there's a, I don't think there's a direct link or direct comparison or an allegory, but surely when you hear of a double-edged sword, you, as students of the Bible, cannot help but think of God's Word. So how can you be confident that you're using the right weapon? You can be confident you're using the right weapon when you're using our sword, which is the Bible. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, where Paul's talking about the armor of God, it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How do you prepare your weapon, your sword, to be used at the right time and in the right way? Be in it every day. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Spend some time. You're doing it today, but spend time working on your sword. Oh, there's something else I don't want you to miss here. And like I said, hard to get everything in, but uh, sometimes when a word is repeated in a particular section or story in the Bible, it is sometimes for a purpose. In this particular section, it is the word hand. I want you, let me walk you through that. Verse 15, first part of verse 15. It says, Ehud is restricted in his right hand. Some translations, of course, say he's left-handed. 
Last part of verse 15 says, The Israelites send tribute by Ahud's hand. Verse 21, Ahud reaches with his left hand. And then, almost as if not by accident but on purpose. Verse 28, The Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. And then verse 30, So Moab was struck down by the hand of Israel. You can be confident in Christ. You can be confident that you're following God's will. When you take matters out of your own hands and trust today and future matters in His hands. Many, if most of us perhaps, have given our heart and life to Jesus. We realize that every time we come together, there may be some here and some who are watching today by live stream that do not know Christ. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, when you became in Christ, when you became into the family of God, at that moment, you put your trust... You put your eternity into God's hands. When this life is over, we're going to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the place called heaven. Well, if you have put your eternity in the hands of God, then you can certainly trust that your present is in His hands as well, whether you realize it or not. That the Lord loves you, He cares for you, and your presence is going to be in the Lord's hand. Trust that that is taking place and trust in Him. And then, if you're not a believer here today, you're watching live stream, you're here present today, and you're not sure that you've put your trust, you've put heaven uh, into God's hands and put your faith in Him, well, today you can do that very thing. Even from this unusual Old Testament story, it points to Jesus. And we realize that we can put our trust in Him. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, I encourage you today, put your eternity into the hands of God so that you know that when this life is over, that you'll have a home in heaven and that you'll be able to be with Him forever because He has a plan for your future life. But He also has a plan for you today. And you can put your trust in Him today by asking Christ to forgive you of your, all your sins and asking Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. We will encourage you to do that very thing. In a few moments, if you're here today, we're going to have our song of response that you can let us know that you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can make that public. Or if not today, that you will do that sometime in the near future. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come bring praise and worship to your holy name. We thank you, Father, for even this Old Testament story that points to you and points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can trust you for all things. And we pray even now today that we're claiming and we're seeking, Father, to be closer to you and to be confident, but not confident in ourselves, confident in who we are in Christ. And Father, if there's one or more that's listening today or here today that does not know you as Savior and Lord, may today be the day of salvation. And Father, may you draw us closer to you. May you make us more like Jesus. We lift these prayers up in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.